When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It is winning season at my bookie. Hey, football season is almost over with. Get in on the action. Use promo code GATERS on a deposit of $50 or more, and you can receive up to $200 in cash instantly to your my bookie account. Bet anything, anytime, anywhere with my bookie. Gators Breakdown. Because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. The Gators Breakdown Podcast is ready to go. I'm your host, David Waters. You can find me on social media at GatorDave underscore SEC and at Gators Breakdown. Coming at you right here on this Monday night show with co-host Will Miles. You can find him at Will Miles SEC, his site readingreaction.com. And we're coming at you a couple of days after Florida took it on the chin versus LSU. We will take a look at uh, Missouri a bit as well as we turn the page to that game. But we'll get into what Billy Napier had to say in his Monday press conference. Uh, kind of really got into some detail about you know what happened on defense versus LSU, uh, what he saw in review, and also the progress of the offense. So we'll, uh, we'll get a look at both sides of the ball as two games remaining in the season coming off a very difficult loss to LSU as Florida still looking for answers with two games left. Yeah, well, we need to talk about the offense because they need to score about 45 points a game from here on out if Florida's going to get one of these last two. So, uh, yeah, it was a rough one, obviously, against LSU. The defense uh, didn't put up much of a battle, especially there in the second half. So disappointing, not necessarily the loss, but the way in which the loss came off. And it, it was funny because you did a post game since you were at home. Um, you, you did a post game uh, uh, YouTube, YouTube thing live, or I guess – you know, real quick reaction show afterwards. And I was sitting there listening to it. I'm like, yeah, Dave pretty much captures it. Like <laughs> pretty much that's what I'm thinking right now. So uh, it was a rough one. It's a rough one. And and obviously things have been getting a little bit uh, lively around Twitter, the discord and all those sorts of things. A lot of discussion going on about what can be fixed, what should be fixed and how to fix it, all those sorts of things. And I'm sure we'll get into some of that tonight. Man, when I do those, you know, shows right after a game, because sometimes, you know, when I go to a Florida home game, especially the night games, where either way, I got a lot of time to think. You know, I got about an hour and a half, hour, 45 minutes to drive home, get some thoughts together. Um, and if it's a night game, I'll do the Sunday episode. But uh, if, I, if I can do a, a night of episode, I will do it. But, man, come on, you know, right after a game, you know, there's a there's a lot of pauses. There's a little bit of breaks, you know, trying to get the thoughts together. And especially with one after like that. Look, it's not easy talking about losses. I hate talking about the losses. It's become all too routine now. So I guess I should be used to it. But we, the fan in this, of course, we, we, we hate it. I mean, we, we'd love to be talking about wins. Love to be talking about positive stuff. And, you know, I know some people are out there looking for positives. But when you give up 700 yards on defense, I mean – you're really stretching it to be talking about positives there uh, in a you know a fifth loss, a third straight loss, historic bad night of defense. Uh, look, I don't want to be negative, but man, you know sometimes it's the reality of it. But man, you really got to just sit and think about you know in those instant reaction episodes of just really how to convey 
what I feel, what I think a lot of Gator Nation feels, and uh, it, uh, it's things. It's it's things to be to be talking about the, the these losses piling up like this. Well, it's it's funny. I'm I'm a natural I'm a natural cynic and and naturally usually pretty uh, contrarian. I guess maybe is the best word to put it. But yeah. We see in the numbers when Florida's doing well and we're being positive, and everybody thinks we want to crap on the program. Like it's like, oh, you just want to be negative. Nah, like we're trying to tell you the truth. And sometimes the truth is hard, and sometimes we're wrong, right? Sometimes yeah. we say something that's 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 negative, and then all of a sudden we're proven to be uh, proven to be wrong. But I think I think you texted me last night or the night before. We were talking about the defense two or three weeks ago, and got a little bit of flack for that at the time. And all of a sudden things have started to fall apart on that side of the ball and the issue is you could sort of see it coming in some mm -hmm. of the underlying statistics that weren't necessarily showing up on the scoreboard yet again we don't want to be negative but when the team puts its performance out of the field where they give up 52 points and 700 yards it's hard to come up with really nice things to say about the defense about the defensive coordinator and the program in general so you know we'll do our best to be honest and to give people our honest opinions but that you know hopefully that's one of the things that you all appreciate about us is that is that we're going to tell you what we really think and you know if that means that the numbers suffer then they do because look nothing would be better than if we were winning national titles and just singing everybody's praises because the numbers would be off the charts i mean you go look <laughs> at the guys who end up turning national those are always the guys who like end up covering a team that wins championships and they happen to ride that wave to bigger to bigger things so uh you know we're we're, we're holding out hope for a championship and want to see it and hopefully billy napier can get us there absolutely absolutely so all right we'll talk about we'll, we'll look back uh, at the ugly night that was saturday night in baton rouge and as i said we'll look forward a little bit too hey before we get there everybody Hit that like button, smash that like button, as we said. We may not like the results, but uh, hey, like the work that we're doing here on Gators Breakdown coming at you every Monday night right here at 8.30 on Gators Breakdown. So thank you for joining us live while you're here. Hit that like button. If you're watching the replay, you can do it as well. Subscribe to Gators Breakdown right here on YouTube or your favorite podcast platform if you haven't done so yet. And of course... Good Gators Breakdown Plus. You get access to that Discord. Hey, a lot of new members lately. So everybody, all the new members, thanks for joining in. All the chats we have out there on Discord. You get the, the extra episodes, ad-free episodes as well. GatorsBreakdown.SupportingCast.FM. Link is in the description. And, of course, GatorsBreakdown.com. You can go check out Seth Farnador's latest there where he, he goes. We'll get into it here in just a second, too. But uh, really goes into detail on his thoughts on the defense, where the issues are. Um, some youth, some scheme. Uh, Seth goes into it. We will get into a little bit of it right there, but if you want to go ahead and read it, GatorsBreakdown.com is where you can find it. And also what Billy Napier had to say in full today at his press conference, the whole transcript from that tra that press conference is up there right now. So, all right, well, let's go LSU. Uh, 701 total yards, just rumbling over Florida there, the most ever against a Florida defense. Hey, look, it, we, uh, we can say it has regressed uh, since the season has progressed here. Uh, the Gator defense and Daniel set an SEC record with 606 total yards of offense, rushing for a career-high 234, two touchdowns on 12 carries, including an 85-yard score, 51-yard score. Also threw for 372, three touchdowns, 17-26 passing. And, Will, that was just the latest – for now, the Gators that have allowed 173 points in their last four games. That's 43 points a game. The last four games the Gators have given up. 
2,133 yards the Gators defense has given up. Will, it's 533 yards a game in the last four games for the Gators. Let's hear from Billy Napier on this defense about what he saw from LSU and some of the issues. Most weeks I'd like to have one or two more scores a game. Oh, wrong one. Here we go. That was the offensive sound back. I knew I was going to mess that up one day. Here we go. You know, I think it's much like every week. You know, I think it is uh, communication. It's alignment. You know, I think that there are fundamentals and techniques um, that can improve playing with good eye discipline, good leverage. Um, you know, LSU contributes to some of that, right? So I think obviously the quarterback's ability to escape and extend, and even when we kept him in the pocket and played coverage, he was able to get through the progression. Um, we won some matchups. We lost some matchups. You know, I do want to um, – I do feel like the effort was good. I mean, when I watch all three parts of, the, of our team, uh, I do feel like the effort was good. You know, so um, some of it is – very specific you know there are there are times where we can help the players and there's times where um, players have opportunities you know I think it's a combination of all those things glad he said that will combination of all the things that was one thing hey when you give up 700 yards that's not just players it's not just youth it's not just coaching it's not just scheme I mean you give up that many yards it's a combination of a whole lot of uh, avenues there that, that lead to that and I would go to Seth's article that he did put up today and of course I will say, like I said, it's not just youth. Is it a part of it? Yes. As I said the other night, you can't just throw that at me as for as for what the, you know what we're seeing on the field and and um, all the bad that's happening on that side of the ball. And you know, Seth says the biggest factor explaining the performance, in his opinion, is the youth at some important spots in modern defenses. Safeties and linebackers are asked to do a whole lot more than they have in the past. Um, so, you know, the previous area, eras of football, the safety may have had to learn where to drop in a few zone coverages and how to fit the run out of those. Modern offenses are so diverse, you have to give a large toolbox to counter what they do. Hey, look, we're far young right now. <laughs> we'll playing two true freshman uh, safeties a lot. But also, you know, Miguel Mitchell, somebody we were really counting on who got the experience last year. Uh, he's out there missing tackles as well at the safety spot. Uh, you know, the development there at the corner spot with Kimber and Marshall hasn't necessarily been where I'd like it right now. So, yeah, there are youth uh, at important spots, but there's also been, you know, some experienced guys, some vets back there on the back end as well. Uh, but, you know, he mentioned safety, linebacker, Florida's having to play Scooby Williams out of position, who maybe been out of position the whole time anyway. But when besides Shamar James, a healthy Shamar James, was doing some okay things this season. Um, and then, of course, have to go down the depth chart there because of injuries and you know, Manny Nunnery now getting more playing time. Derek Wingo now getting more play at time. He's just no really difference makers there at the linebacker spot. Kind of where I think recruiting has really hit Will. Uh, Billy Napier's first couple recruiting classes, linebacker not really a strong suit. Finally is in the 24 class, but uh, the first two recruiting cycles, not 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 a whole lot there to, to, to lean on besides Shamar James. Uh, so, yeah, definitely, you know, the, the youth there. But at the same time, when Billy Napier says combine all these things, I'm glad I'm glad Seth put it in his article because when I was watching and talking, you know, watching the replay, Will, and also talking to some other members of Gator Nation, and with this youth, is the defense too complicated? Are they being asked to do too much? Uh, if your if your safeties are having to have this toolbox 
that Seth brings about, you know, are they ready to handle uh, that, that full toolbox? Is the defense too complicated for them right now as freshmen? And I think it is a good question to ask. Do you throw everything at them to get the experience and hopefully that one day that experience pays off? How do you weigh that with not giving them too much so they can just go out there and play? I think that's where we're, we're wrestling with, you know, maybe scheme, maybe coaching. You got the youthful Austin Armstrong on the sideline, too. I mean, it's not just the youth on the field. It's the youth on the sideline with Austin Armstrong. Even he himself may be trying to figure out how to best put his scheme together, how to best put his coaching together with so much youth on the field as well. Yeah, so one of the things I posted in, or that I put in my post-game article was in the second drive of the game, it was first and 10, the first play of the second drive, they ran a stunt with Desmond Watson. And that, I think, to me, sort of exemplifies everything that I think about the staff right now on the defensive side of the ball is Desmond Watson's a good player when he's occupying two offensive linemen right off the snap, right? If he can occupy a guard in a center right off the snap and can hold his position, then that frees up the defensive end to be one-on-one. That frees up the defensive or the buck to be one-on-one somewhere on the outside. That forces the running back to stay in and block to help out or chip the guy on the outside. That gives the linebacker the ability to either get to the quarterback or have a clear lane to that running back who's then going out on the route. Um, now, it all works in tandem, right? If It, it doesn't matter whether Watson, Watson takes up two players if the defensive end can't get home, if the buck can't get home, those sorts of things. At the same time, the fact that they're running a stunt with him is indicative to me of not necessarily making the calls based on the personnel you have in a game. I'm okay with you running a stunt with Cam Jackson or Caleb Banks <laughs> there. I'm not okay running a stunt with Desmond Watson because that's not his strength. And so you're running something that doesn't necessarily fit the strength of the guy you just brought in. You want to rotate players? That's great. But you got to have play calls that make sense for the personnel that you have in the game. And I think that's where you start to see some of the cracks in the scheme in terms of what Florida is able to do. Now, when it comes to the youth, I, I took a quick look today. I didn't have time to go and look at it really in depth, but I looked at last year's all SEC team because I thought that'd be kind of representative of when we should expect like really excellent play from, from players in different recruiting classes. So last year's all SEC team, 8%. So five of the players from that team, there's 66 total players. When you talk about first, second coaches, AP, that sort of stuff, 66 different players on all SEC teams. Five of them were from the 2022 class. So one class one year before, so true freshmen, five of them were from the 2021 class, 8%. So that was either true freshmen, true sophomores, or redshirt freshmen. And then 25 were from the 2020 class. So three classes back, 18 were from the 19 class. So four classes back and then uh, nine from the 2018 class, which is four classes back. And there were four from the 2017 class as well. If you guys hold on because of COVID years and that sort of stuff. So our expectation really should be this year that the main production for any team out there is going to come from the 2019, 2020, and 2021 classes. That should be the expectation. Now, I'm not saying all SEC production, but I'm saying that's where you should yeah, yeah, expect yeah. the production to come from. And so when you look at Florida and say, who's left? Well, from the 2018 class, they got Dante Zanders. That's it. From the 2019 class, you got Keon Zipper, who's injured. You've got Jadon Hill. You've got Riley Simons, Jalen Humphreys, Jamarcus Weston. Then you got Kingsley Eggleton, Khalil Jackson, and then Graham Mertz is a transfer in. So you've got four starters, essentially, from 2019. And Mertz, I think you could say, has been pretty productive. And mm -hmm. Khalil Jackson, while not a difference maker, has been has been productive. And then that should, 20 should, should have one more catch, by the way. 
<laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> the 2020 class has Derek Wingo, Ethan Pouncey, Jaquavian Frazier's, Princely Human Milan, Jonathan Odom, Richie Leonard, Jeremy Crawshaw, Micah Mazuka, Damian George, and Cam Jackson. Um, so again, five starters from that particular spot, if you don't count Wingo as a starter. And, and, heavy, 20, and heavy transfer. Heavy transfer. And then if you look at 2021, you got Jason Marshall, Scooby Williams, Marcus Burke, Tyreek Sapp, Justice Boone, Austin Barber, Desmond Watson, Jake Slaughter, Rocco Underwood, and Caleb Banks. So Banks is a transfer, obviously. And then you've got Barber, Sapp, Scooby Williams, and Jason Marshall. And I think that's the thing that maybe would disappoint you in terms of the guys on the field, that I'm not sure that Marshall, Williams, Banks, Jackson, George, Mazuka, Richie Leonard, Princely Human Milan, Khalil Jackson, Egwakan, Jaden Hill, and Graham Mertz. Those guys, when you put them all together, you kind of needed two or three all SEC performances from those guys in order to sort of hold the fort for all the young guys that you've got on the on the other side from that 2022 and 2023 class. Because if you look at that, <laughs> they got 10 starters out there on the field from the 2022 and 2023 classes. And it's not that those guys shouldn't be counted on, but at the same time, they can't be the only thing you're counting on. Now, that was a strategic decision by Billy Napier. I can right. remember looking back at the Dan Mullen era and going, I'm worried that Mullen isn't integrating his young guys into the system, that we sort of sold our soul to the devil in 2018 and 2019 to go 10 and 3 and 11 and 2. But then the bottom started to fall out once the recruiting and the players that he brought in weren't ready to fill those gaps in 2020 and 2021. That leads to the end of that era, and all of a sudden, Napier has to make a choice. Now, you can make some arguments that having guys like Antoine Powell Ryland and, uh, and some of the other guys who've left, um, who have now performed very, very well at other schools, in fact, better than some of the Florida guys have performed at Florida, that keeping some of those guys maybe should have been a priority. But Napier decided not to make it a priority, or at least he didn't make it easy for those guys to stay. And, and now we're starting to reap the reap the benefits that we've sown there or maybe the detriments of what we sown there um, in terms of having those guys leave. There's just, you know, people, it's not a coincidence that in the, in the second half and the third and fourth quarters against Arkansas and LSU, Florida couldn't get off the field. Now I would make an argument that Florida couldn't get off the field in the first half against LSU and got kind of fortunate to only have given up 17 points. Um, but I think against Arkansas, that's true. They were able to get off the field in the first half in the second half. They weren't. And so there is something to the fact that they don't have a ton of depth at the same time. That's a strategic, Strategic choice that the team has made and there's no reason why the defense should be 129th out of 133 teams in yards per play allowed there's just no reason they're too talented to do that I, I do think effort's been a problem at times I think Napier can say he thinks that he's getting full effort I think we can see that it's not necessarily always great effort out there um, and then yes they can do some stuff strategically in order to make things simpler the question is, then what do you do, right? If you make it yeah. simple and you still get bad effort, well, you're you're screwed. And to be honest, if you give a guy like if you give a guy like Jaden Daniels just zone the entire game and that's all you play, he'll pick you apart. Now he picked him apart no matter what. So it's one of those things where you say, well, you know, you may as well simplify it. But at that point, it's too it's too late, right? You yeah, got to yeah. run the scheme that you had decided. You got to run the game plan that you had decided when you get in there. Now, would I like to see some guys get chewed out a few times when the ball gets over their head or when they're not in the right position? Absolutely. Would I like to see tougher tackling? And I think that's probably the thing that I just like love to see. Uh, I was Nick about Newton. to say there. That's where I start. Like you, somewhat is maybe contributed to that, but not 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 all of it. Not all of it. And especially when I see like Miguel Mitchell or just Olay, a guy, he's been in the program long enough. He's been in the strength and conditioning program long enough. I mean, it's uh, it's not just a youth problem. 
No, it's not just a youth problem, but I think we can we can be honest and say that youth contribute to it. Yes, yes, yes. The, yes, yes. the, the we, issue that I have is that they I get chose that as a blanket to do sta- that. that. Yeah, and I get it as a blanket statement thrown at me a whole lot. Oh, it's just a youth. They're just young. No, that's not the only thing. <laughs> well, and and irrespective of that, um, you know, if it was just the LSU game, I'd be yes. a lot more forgiving yes. of the defensive inadequacies. But that's not the way it's been. This defense has given up ridiculous amounts of of yardage to just about everybody who's out there. And because of that, that's the thing that I think gets like, like it's not like they didn't give up a bunch of yardage to Utah, a Utah team whose offense this year has actually been really abysmal. Um, 5.1 yards per play against Utah, 6.0 against Tennessee, 3.9 against Charlotte. 7.2 versus Kentucky, six and a half against Vanderbilt, Vanderbilt, 7.4 against South Carolina, 7.4 against Arkansas, six point or 7.4 against Georgia, 6.2 against Arkansas, 11.3 against LSU. And the Arkansas this week gets completely slaughtered by Auburn in a game where their offense looked exactly like it had all year long. And the only blip in Arkansas being remotely competent on offense is when they played Florida's defense. And so you can start to make the comparison, right? You look at Hugh Freeze's first year there at Auburn. Um, Obviously, I don't think he had quite the turnover. But again, strategic choices that you've made along the way that put you in situations where, you know, the amount of people who've left and then the lack of action in the transfer portal um, in terms of bringing people in has been a deliberate choice, I think, in many respects by Napier and company because they've been focused on building a culture. But within that is you still need guys who aren't tired in the fourth quarter. And that's strength and conditioning, but that's also just having enough bodies and enough depth and enough talent that you can bring somebody in. There's not a huge drop-off. And look, there's no shame in getting boat raced by LSU on the offensive side of the ball. Now, there might be some shame in giving up 700 yards. Yes. And then and then I, I think I went back and looked at it. It was 89% of the possible yardage that LSU could get, they got. Oh. And uh, <laughs> like at each, at the start of each drive, it, and it was even worse than yeah. that because there were a couple of holding penalties that made their drive 75 yards long, but really they went 85 yards in, in the holding penalties. So they had gotten out of the available yards, they got 692 of 792, which is 87%. So when oh they went out there on the God. field, 87% of the yards they could get, they got. I love and, that. And, that. Did, didn't Nick come up with – or he's used that or something. Yeah, Nick did something a couple years ago when he was looking at the A and M game because yes. it was kind of the same thing when we were at Texas A and M back in 2020. Yeah. Um, and yeah, same same type of stuff. The available yards and uh, they just didn't stop anybody. There's no resistance. Castell had another whiff in the middle of the field where it turned on the first play of the game where it turned into a big big gain for Malik Neighbors. You had stuff though from a schematic perspective where they had off coverage one on one a safety on Neighbors. And I'm just like, that's a nightmare waiting to happen. Like, just play quarters. Let them catch it in a hole. <laughs> and that—that's the thing I think that when I really, when I really think about what you could do from a game plan perspective, is there are ways. I mean, just play prevent defense and make them throw the ball on the outside and go out of bounds, right? Like, give your, give your, give your team a little bit of time to breathe, where it's not five plays, 82 yards at a touchdown, just the whole time. It was video game stuff. Yeah. And at some point, when do you back off and just say, you know what? Like we're okay giving up six yards. Let's not give up eighty-five. And they didn't make any adjustments. And honestly, they haven't made any adjustments all year. It was one of my concerns about Austin Armstrong coming into the year was his propensity to give up big plays, and that has certainly continued to rear its ugly face here this year for Florida. Yeah. Well, one more thing on GatorsBreakdown.com that Seth put in there when he goes scheme isn't perfect. 
Um, he goes, he has his gripes with some of the designs. For example, our, our, one of our favorite terms, Will Creepers, uh, are great in theory, but it seems like a lot of time it's just making, and this is really true, uh, really glad he brought it up. I, I, I've, I've put it in my head, but I haven't really put it out Human there. Million? Yes. Yes. You make your best pass rusher drop into coverage. Uh, so, you know, because it just hurt your pass rush. It also seems to cause some issues in the run game. Uh, he goes, I think they want to, I think they want the end reading run or pass first on those designs. There have been times when the read is a little murky, the end drops, then he has to quickly adjust to the pulling blocker and the plays by him. Maybe the defense would just be better suited. Let that guy put his hand in the dirt and go. Um, I think we saw that at times with the linebackers um, against LSU as well when, hey, let's spy Jaden Daniels, but hey, LSU would quickly adjust. Let's just sneak that running back <laughs> behind while the while the uh, while, while his attention is on Jaden Daniels running. And so you know LSU made some adjustments as well when Florida would try to make adjustments. But um, you know just a, a lot of a lot of thinking thinking issues there. Poor Scooby man. Like he he got. I mean it's so obvious that's his guy, right? Yeah. And he ends and he ends up behind and. Uh, Anybody who's ever played any level of football has had something like that happen to him before. But then later on in the game, Daniel's pump fake to the running back, and Scooby was ready for it. Yeah. And he went running over to the running back, and Daniel's like, nope, just kidding, and ran right out, even though even though Scooby was the spy. I, I think and, look, and that's um, part of it too. Like this LSU off, look, we knew we knew it was going to be hard to stop. That's not the issue here. It's just Florida's been playing football since 1906. He just gave up 701 yards. I mean, that, it, we knew LSU was going to get theirs, but at historic levels, that that's the dagger. Yeah, I mean, so look, I mean, it really does come down to the front four, and and I hear what Seth's saying, and I agree with him because every time they drop human Milan in coverage, I'm just like, ugh, like what are we doing? At the same time, when they just let the front four rush. They don't get home. They don't often. get home. Yep. And and so, you know, it, it's like they're they're hoping to be able to generate some sort of urgency from the quarterback by potentially overloading one side of the offensive line or the other. And they just don't have anybody who consistently scares the opposition. And Human Melan's their best pass rusher, but what's he got? Four sacks? Yeah. Like, and you can say he's not being used right. You can you can say all sorts of stuff. At the same time, if you're an elite pass rusher in the SEC, you're getting 12 sacks just based on putting your hand in the ground and going. And you know that has not been the case for Florida and Florida's defense. It doesn't mean Human Meal is not a good player. It just means that there are not enough good players along that line to be able to win those one-on-one matchups on a consistent basis. That's where it all starts. Because if you think about the Arkansas game two weeks ago, the only time they got in the backfield, they got they got uh, they got KJ Jefferson on a blitz one time on a third down where Jadon Hill came in and got him. Um, sort of missed yeah. the initial tackle and then and then was able to able to bring him to the ground. But if you remember that play, nobody was there to help tackle him after Hill slowed him up. Like Hill got him by the ankle and he didn't go down. And then he sort of like got up and hit him again and got him down on the ground. There wasn't any other Florida defender anywhere near when that happened. Same thing in overtime. Hill came on a blitz, misses the tackle of, of the running back Sanders. Sanders puts his hand on the ground and then runs around the edge. But again, no one from the defensive line there to help. The only place Florida is able to get pressure is blitzing off the edge with the star, with a corner, with a safety, something like that. 
And that's going to expose you on the back end, especially if you can't get there. And it's not like Florida's defensive backs or safeties have been getting there a lot when they've been coming either. Mm -hmm. They've been getting there more than just the front four, but they haven't been getting there a lot. And so that's the thing is they're exposing themselves on the backside with all with everything that they're doing and then they're not good tacklers either which means if you break through the initial front like if even if you brought a run blitz it's not going to work because somebody's gonna get run over and then you got nobody on the back end because you brought everybody up front it was interesting at one point in the game when lsu was driving i think it was the fourth down that where florida turned the ball over on a fumble and then lsu had had basically a four and out on that fourth down Armstrong just said, screw it, went cover zero. He brought everybody. <laughs> and it was the only inaccurate throw that Daniels threw the entire game. And what, what wound up happening was he got him a little bit jumpy, knowing that there was going to be somebody unblocked coming. But they still didn't get to him. Like They still didn't yeah. actually hit him, even though they ran cover zero. And I'm not sure how. I'm going to have to go back and look at it. I didn't even think to look at it till now. But how'd you not hit him? Like They all are up at the line of scrimmage. There's not enough guys to block. One guy should be coming free hit him now he made an inaccurate throw but to me you know i i have been critical of armstrong's proclivity to give up big plays but if you're going to give up big plays when you're bringing four guys or when you're bringing five you might as well go cover zero tell your guys to man up and then get torched anyway because every once in a while you're gonna get home and they just haven't gotten home enough to make it worthwhile bringing a fifth guy so i i agree with seth from the standpoint of those simulated pressures take human meal out of the play but even when they actually blitz the guy they're not getting home, and when you bring five or six guys mm -hmm. and can't get there, that they ran a, a they ran a they ran a cross blitz where the linebackers. I've seen Georgia run it a ton, and the linebackers crossed and tripped on each other, so they wound up rushing four because both linebackers were sitting on the ground, and that was I think the one where they hit over Kimber down the sideline. And I'm like, I don't know what you want the defensive coordinator to do at that point, other than <laughs> teach his guys not to trip each other. And you know that that like when you when you point out inexperience, that's where inexperience comes in, right? They got so anxious to go execute that blitz that it just completely flubbed because they fell on the ground two yards behind the line of scrimmage, and that was the end of it. And Jaden Daniels had forever to throw it, but. I mean, geez, if you had a stopwatch for all the times Daniels walked, you know, oh. dropped back to pass. Yeah. There's one in the red zone. Manny Nunnery lost the uh, lost the running back on basically the same route that Scooby did um, for a touchdown later in the game. But I mean, I don't blame Nunnery. Daniels held the ball for five seconds. Yeah. I don't, I don't know what you want to do when the guy's got five seconds. Throw. And it's not. I mean, at five seconds, he threw the ball, and there wasn't anyone near him. Like it, it wasn't like oh, someone's closing in at the five second mark. It's like I'm not sure they would have gotten him if they counted to ten. <laughs> Rob S brings up a good point in the chat. He goes, Daniels was mortal in the red zone, but we kept giving up explosive plays for touchdowns. So, I mean, that was, that was most of ours. If you looked at any preview last week that you and I did, it was, we're giving up a ton of explosives, playing one of the best teams in the country at producing explosives. And if you had any chance, it was, I mean, LSU hasn't been too strong in the red zone this year anyway. I mean, that would be, we would be one of their quote unquote weak points of their offense. Uh, and, you know, they live off of explosives uh, and certainly lived off of it again uh, on Saturday night. So ten. they had 10 explosives and those explosives averaged 46 yards a play. So, I mean, they only ran 61 plays. <laughs> Right. When, when I, one sixth of your plays is explosives, yeah. I, we can't just be like, oh, if you like, it was funny. 61 plays and 52 points. 
<laughs> they gave they gave up 9.8 yards per play in the first half. And and somebody tweeted at me after because I posted that and was like, we're really lucky to only be down 17-14 right now. Um <laughs> somebody tweeted at me. They're like, Yeah, well, four of the if you take away the four plays for 202 yards, it doesn't look so bad. <laughs> like, yeah, you're not wrong. Like yeah. those those plays did happen, though. That that is one of the problems. And uh, you know, unfortunately, all four of those plays went for touchdowns or not all four because they wouldn't have yeah. that but you know one of them was the 85 yard run and and those sorts of things so it, it was rough it was rough and uh you know i think in some ways you sort of smile there there napier is right in that there are reasons for all of it the question is are they acceptable reasons are they acceptable reasons to the fan base and you know we, we've all sort of talked about roster construction everything being young mm-hmm. that sort of stuff now, one of the reasons why young players don't come along as quickly, or at least in some programs don't come along as quickly, is they're not getting the reps, right? They're behind some guy who's a junior or a senior who's getting all the reps. That can't be an excuse here. These guys should be getting all the reps. And so, um, you know, look, the defense was was passable until Shamar James went down. I think that is an important distinction. James was playing probably as close to an all-SEC level as somebody on that defense could be, could be playing. And I would say was probably the best player on the unit. So to lose Shamar James, essentially before that Georgia game, he wasn't himself in that Georgia game. Yeah. I think the defense has kind of fallen off a cliff without a guy who's a leader and he without a guy playing, who's... He had been playing a little injured before that too. Yeah, but I mean, again, that like if you really want to see the demarcation line, mm-hmm. like the, the defense was well below average, but doing better at keeping the opposition out of the end zone. And now it's just a catastrophe and and that can kind of be tied in with James going out but again that goes back to you brought in Taraja Mitchell where's he been you brought in Manny Nunnery what's going on with him like all these guys you've brought in to fill these spots from people who left right now I know he left before Napier or at least you know really didn't have an opportunity for Napier but 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 a guy like Tyron Hopper would look really good right now in Florida's defense. A guy like Diabate, if he still had eligibility, might look really good in that defense. Like I said, Antoine Powell Ryland would look really good in that defense. There's a lot of guys who could be there. And, you know, there were all those stories about like asking for game tape and those sorts of things uh, for some of the recruits. And, and you know, I, I think these guys wanted to run their own program the way they wanted to run it, wanted to make sure they built the culture they wanted to build. But sometimes you got to make some compromises to make sure you got talent in the building. Correct. And not making those sorts of compromises, I think, has left the team pretty shorthanded and has left us where we are, which is, you know, the 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 noise in the system is getting awfully loud because you know it, it's not a matter of losing to LSU it's a matter of putting up a defense that when we compare to Vanderbilt or when we compare to Missouri although Missouri is a good team this year but compared to Arkansas or South Carolina or any of these other teams that you think of as lesser than in the SEC um, Florida is just bad and uh, you know I, I did I did message on your on your late night show there that. Uh, Austin Armstrong's Southern Mississippi defense is 131st overall in the country in yards per play allowed. So he is outperforming Southern Mississippi. So I guess that's the that's a positive. <laughs> oh well, oh well. Um, hey, we got plenty more to get into. Billy Napier and the offense. Uh, we'll get in a little bit more talk about that today, and we got to talk a little bit of recruiting as well. Looks like Gators losing two commitments: Jamonte Waller, Wardell Mack. We'll get into that as well uh, on the heels of this LSU loss. But yeah. We'll get into all that, but before before we do, message from my bookie. Because when your money's on the line, you want to choose a trusted sports book that gives you the tools to win, like my bookie. At my bookie, it doesn't matter if your team is up or down; you can easily cash out or bet the game live to come out on the winning side. 
Hey, use my bookie for daily odds boost, same game parlays, and take advantage of huge prize pool contests. Plus, my bookie has a no strings attached cash bonus that lets you deposit and withdraw quick. Just use promo code Gators on your first deposit and receive up to $200 in cash. That's promo code Gators to claim your own cash bonus now. And while you're there, try the MyBookie money bag to grab a potential Super Bowl front runner at long shot odds. Bet anything, anytime, anywhere, only at MyBookie. All right, well, let's uh, hear from Billy Napier. And he was asked today, how has his offense progressed this season? Most weeks, I'd like to have one or two more scores a game, you know, and I think ultimately I'm evaluating it by within the play, within the possession. Um, I think we're sound, you know, in what we do. Um, we have developed more consistency. You know, I think early on we had some issues. We had some struggles. I do think we've developed some consistency. Uh, we've also developed some some players, some guys that have were backups that have gotten experience that have improved. Whether that's the two freshman tight ends or Jake Slaughter, or we get Cam Waits back, um, you know, t- you know Trey Wilson gains confidence and gets experience, whatever the case may be. So I think players have improved. Uh, we're getting a little bit more consistency across the board. And that's allowed us to be a little bit more effective. So, um, you know, we're, you know, we need to play better complementary football. You know, ultimately that's our issue, right? It has nothing to do with just one unit. You know, I think we have to put all parts of our team together at this point where we're at. You know, that's, that's the issue, right? It's the defense shows up and the offense doesn't. You know, and I'm not just week to week, but half to half, you know, or quarter to quarter, right? So uh, we, we consistency is what we're seeking. Uh, and I do think we need to continue to develop players, right? We need to see improvement from players. Um, and we need to eliminate some of the mistakes that have nothing to do with the opponent. You know, I mean, I think that's my struggle. That's what I think about. You know, I mean, I think I can handle – uh, some of the matchups that we get positioned in, and hey, look, it is what it is. But some of these things that we can help, you know, uh, that's what I'm consumed with right now. Well, I thought that was one of his best answers, uh, probably all year uh, in, in a press conference. And in a way of, look, no doubt about it, for me, uh, this offense has gotten better from Utah to where this team is right now. I think the offense is better. They have gotten better, they have identified more weapons. Uh, is it fair to ask this offense to have to be perfect? No, it's not. Uh, and that's not what Billy Napier's saying either. But, you know, playing teams, look, he, like he pointed out where we at, where we are at in this point of the season. When you're playing teams like LSU, Missouri, Florida State, close out the season, you know, you're, you're, those games would be upsets. You're not as good as those teams, and you have to pull the upset. And, and, and in order to pull the upset, you have to raise the level of play. Um, you have to do the unthinkable a lot of the time in upsets, and it's not nitpick, not nitpicking, but you know that's the reality that Florida faces in these games that they just played and the games that they have coming up to close the season. Um, so what Billy Napier is saying, uh, I think, is worth bringing up. You know, they need complementary football. That would be the easiest path to an upset. 
Had Florida been complimentary against LSU, it would have equaled, you know, look, the defense getting those fourth down stops they got in the first half, the offense going up and putting 14 points up uh, off of those stops. And that, look, that was about the only thing you can point to with the offense as far as that goes is, is maybe, you know, where they, as Billy Napier said, didn't play complimentary football when the defense does something. Maybe the offense needs to help them out. Uh, but, you know, is that fair? Probably not. But uh, it takes those special type of moments to spring an upset against a team like LSU Maybe coming up against Missouri and Florida State, there are opportunities where this offense, you know, can play better, can be more consistent. I like the grid of that bunch, Will. I mean, they don't stop playing. And as Napier says, you know, he'd like to see them get one or two more scores a game and to spring an upset, go play your best. Um, They did not play their best the other night, but, you know, they didn't, you know, they didn't. Are they supposed to? Um, <laughs> I guess they're going to have to coming up. It, uh, you know, they didn't play their best versus Arkansas either, uh, but it isn't fair to have to make up for that defense. But better is there for this offense, and I hope we see it close this season out. And it's not a knock on them. It's just the reality of playing with this Gator defense, who they play coming up. Um, they're playing good enough to win with some help, Will, with some help, Will um, you know, or step up and play to get even better and maybe there's an upset waiting to happen to close this season out. Yeah, well, I mean, you can say the same thing about LSU's offense, to be honest with you. I mean, LSU's yeah. seven and three after this game, and we see why they're seven and three, right? When they played Florida State, couldn't stop them in the second half. Alabama just ran right over them. And Ole Miss, obviously, I think they gave up more than 700 yards to Ole Miss, too. So they know what it feels like over there in Baton Rouge to have an offense just trucking them like uh, like they trucked us the other day. But but that team wins that team wins a national championship if they just have an adequate defense. And that's what we felt back in 2020, right? Is that with Kyle Traster at the helm it was like all we needed was a defense that could get a stop or two and all of a sudden that offense was going to make a difference well now you're in a situation where you don't have that kind of offense florida does not have an offense that is just throw them the ball three plays later 85 yards it's a touchdown right like they have to be methodical they have to make their way down the field that's who graham mertz is that's who they're that's who they are in terms of their playmakers like trey wilson for as dynamic as he is is not necessarily a house call every time you get him the ball in the way Percy Harvin was or those sorts of things. He's certainly a chain he's, mover. He's a chain mover. Yeah, certainly he's a weapon, but he is not he is not that weapon yet. Now maybe he'll develop into that weapon. Ricky Pearsall, same way, right? It's not that he can't get a, a play or two downfield, but he's not somebody who you go just run a go go run a nine route and we'll chuck it to you and you'll go get it. Like same thing. I don't think Trey Wilson's that kind of player either. Etn and Montreal Johnson kind of have to, you know, they'll pop one every once in a while, but you got to be consistent getting it to them. It's just gonna. It's a different kind of offense. It's an offense that's probably ranked somewhere in the 40th or 50th in the country. And if they had a defense that was ranked 40th or 50th in the country, we'd have a top 25 team because you know most teams have some sort of variance between their offense and defense. And so you, you end up needing to be in that 40 to 50 range on each side of the ball. Um, if you're not in that 40 to 50 range, though, on one of those sides of the ball, then the other side has to make it up. And the problem is that the defense is so bad that I'm not sure how much – like think about it. If they had LSU's offense for Florida the other day, but Florida's defense out there, <laughs> would it have made that much? I mean, it would have been a track meet. It would have been Ole Miss, right? It would have been the Ole Miss game. And yeah. Ole Miss, pretty good team, right? Ole Miss is 8-2, and two, LSU 7-3. and three. Those two went toe-to-toe. Both of them have pretty bad defenses. Both of them have dynamic offenses. And what was that one, like 52-49, to 49, something like yeah, that? Yeah, something like that, yeah. And uh, that's what we were looking at, right? We were looking at a 52-49 to 49 game, even if the offense had gone out and really done its job. Now, look, did Khalil Jackson catch that ball? Yeah, I have no idea how you overturned that, given what I saw on the telecast. Like, I understand that re- that the ball may have moved after he rolled over, but come on, guys. Like, replay is there to, to correct 
egregious errors, not ones where I look at the look at the replay and go, I can't tell whether the ball moved. If it had been ruled incomplete, I'd be saying the same thing. It should have stayed incomplete based on what you saw. But to have that overturned, did that switch things? Absolutely it did. But that's also part and parcel to this team, right? You throw one every time Merch has thrown an interception, everything has fallen apart. He threw an interception against Utah, couldn't get the stop. Threw an interception against Kentucky, couldn't get the stop. They have this play where they have to punt it away, can't get the stop. And that's sort of been the story all year long. Now, at the same time, the offense over the last five games, remember they played Georgia in these five games, mm-hmm. averaging 34.2 points per game, and somehow they're two and three. <laughs> And they only scored 20 against Georgia, which means in those other ones, they're, they're 38, 39, 39, 35, and they're two and two. And, you know, that's your problem right there. So could he get another touchdown out of him? Yeah. Would that have made a difference in the Arkansas game? Certainly. Yeah. Obviously, they gave seven points away on the offensive side of the ball against Arkansas. And that's the one that you're going to, you know, everybody's going to talk about the special teams, the missed extra point, the missed field goal, the fire drill when they ran out on the field. All that stuff is true. But that game really was lost when they were down 14 nothing after the Pierce Hall fumble. Um, because, you know, I, I was wondering whether they were going to even going to be able to come back. I'm impressed they were able to at the same time. That put them in a position to be fighting uphill pretty much the entire game. Um, so, but look, you, you score 38, 39, 39, and 35, you should be better than two and two. And so, you know, I, there are things I can say about the offense. There are things I still don't like about the way they do a lot of stuff near the line of scrimmage. Don't take a bunch of deep shots. The fact that the offensive line doesn't move when the defensive line jumps off sides and they don't try to throw it to somebody that they just chuck it out of bounds drives me nuts. Like if you get the offsides flag, I don't care if you throw a pick, do it. Like, take the shot. Try to fit it in somewhere. Like, there's a guy downfield. Throw it. Those sorts of things, those little things that are detail-oriented. But um, I don't have a whole lot to say about the offense being poor or being poorly run or anything like that. Mm-mm. Like, there are times, I mean, you know, obviously in the flow of the game, you can feel sometimes yeah. Trey Wilson gets lost. Um, I think, you know, just like we've been saying all year long, Montreal Johnson is a very good player. Trevor Etienne's special. When do you bring him out there? Because you need the big run. You need to hit something big. You need your skill players out there. Can you find a way to get both Johnson and Etienne out there if you're really looking to to like give Johnson snaps? Like, how can you yeah. how can you how can you do some stuff there? There's some stuff they could do, but again, I just look at the results. The results are pretty good. It's just you know, it's it's not it doesn't feel good because you know they have to be perfect every single time. Yeah, and on that note, Will, I remember going back those two drives where Johnson and ETN got going. The next two drives, Florida passed on first down, <laughs> and then I think one of those drives was a predictable second and ten <laughs> run after that, where it only went for one or two yards. And you know, this that that run game was going and flowing, but the, like you said, you know, it, at this point in his nitpicking because they got to be so perfect and. Um, I see J Dub in the comments saying, you know, yeah, when you know when when the defense actually did get a stop, you'd love for the offense to respond right away, and yeah, you you, you would you would love to. And hey, look, if you're going to pull the upset, it takes those type of things to go pull an upset. Yeah, I mean, look, the, the offense is is limited, but is being effective so far. They need some help. Yeah, and this is this is one of the things that I think the special teams gaffes that have happened all year. And hey, we didn't. Have, hey, on the bright side, no special teams gaffes. No special, them, right? But didn't, um, didn't even have a chance to mess up a field goal, really. Um, <laughs> but yeah, hey, you got the, and made uh, all the extra points, man. Made, made all, all the extra, extra points, points and got the uh, got the turnover. <laughs> yeah, yeah, to get the turnover on that one. So um, we joke, but that's why that's so important. 
right? Because there is so little margin for error given the shortcomings on the defensive side of the ball. And we can say that those shortcomings shouldn't be there on the defensive side of the ball. You know, we, they should have figured this stuff out and they should adjust the scheme and all this sort of stuff. And that may be true, but there are shortcomings on that side of the ball. And so how do you address the rest of your team? Well, you got to make sure you're perfect everywhere else. And that means not, that doesn't necessarily mean that your offense is always perfect, but it means in terms of execution of the simple things. It means lining up correctly. It means not wasting timeouts on drives when you know you might need them later in the game. It means not taking a delay of game penalty when you're down in the red zone. It means not taking a delay of game penalty after a punt. Um, All those sorts of little game management things become important because you know you're going to be in a dogfight in every game. And, you know, you cost yourself a couple of points here, you cost yourself a couple of points there, and all of a sudden you're down a field goal at the end, or you're down 10 after the opposition puts up a touchdown, and you don't have the opportunity to come back and make the comeback because you've shortchanged yourself somewhere along the game. And that is the one place where I would criticize Napier. I thought the play calling in the last two minutes of the first half – and in the first drive coming out of the second half was awful. Yep. I thought it was awful. I thought the delay of game put him in a bad situation. I mm-hmm. understand that you're sitting there going, we're 17-14. We need to run out the clock. But anybody talking in his ear has access to the same stats I did, which is that you're getting torched on the defensive side of the ball. They just haven't been able to put it in the end zone yet. And when they finally stop shooting themselves in the foot, they're going to score 50 points. And that's exactly what happened in the second half. And if Florida had been up by 11, Mm-hmm. After that first drive, open up the second half because they had been aggressive and tried to score a touchdown against a bad defense there yeah. in the last two minutes of the first half and had been aggressive and had gone after it in the first drive after the second, after, after halftime. And even if they're up by four, right? Yeah. Just getting one touchdown in those two drives makes the whole feel of the game considerably different because at least then when LSU starts hitting on all cylinders, they're behind and you're just kind of trying to hold on. Yeah. And then they're sitting there going, well, we can't get a stop. Why can't we like, you know, that's what it felt like. Florida would pull it to three. And then LSU would push it back to 10. Florida would pull it to three. And then LSU would push it back to 10. Well, what if it was Florida's up by four, then LSU's up by three, then Florida's up by four, then LSU, you know, just the feel of the game is a whole lot different on both sides of the, of the ball. And does LSU make a mistake because it's close and because they know they don't have any margin for error. But when they're up 10, 11, 12 points, basically the entire second half, they know they have access. They know they have the ability to make a mistake, which means you can do some things on the defensive side of the ball that you might not do otherwise. And so to me, if you're going to criticize Napier for anything, it would be that. The last two minutes of the first half, the first two minutes of the second, I thought that they were way too conservative given their opponent and given what their opponent had already done. I'm going to pull up a stat quickly because, Will, of what you just brought up and what Neil Evan just brought up in the chat, Napier deferred to score before half only to go three and out and start the third. Um, if I, I, I want to get it updated. It won't take me long, but... This last Gator, four, first four? <laughs> no, no I, I can't go that deep right now, but to go here... Uh, because I, I I put it out last week. Oh man, where's it at? I think it's here. Anyway, it's Florida's one of the worst third te- third quarter scoring teams in the country. Uh, so when you know that, uh, and where Florida you know has definitely struggled in, in that regard to, as you said, give up kind of give up in the late first half. There, yeah, here it is. I got it now. Florida's third quarter scoring. Um, 5.6 points a game at 78th in the country. 
Nice. So, well, so I I can't find it right now um, in terms of what the score was there. In the, oh no! So LSU outscored Florida ten to seven in the second quarter, but outgained them one hundred and ninety two to seventy three. Yeah. And so you look at that and you go, oh, like we got really lucky to only get out of that ten to seven because usually you give up one hundred and ninety two yards in a quarter. That's twenty one points. <laughs> yeah. Maybe twenty eight points if you have a turnover in there somewhere. So to go one hundred and ninety two to seventy three says, oh boy, we need to maximize every opportunity, and that that to me is even if Mertz throws a turn, throws a throws an interception, and then you lose the game right there. Like at least you're going for it. You're being aggressive, and you're saying LSU's weakness is their defense. We have an opportunity to take advantage of that weakness right now, and we're going to go take advantage of it right now. Which also means the first play coming out in the third quarter should be something to Trey Wilson, mm-hmm. because if you can get the sticks moving, if you can get ten or eleven yards, if you can get the ball out on the outside to Trey Wilson, and all of a sudden you've got things moving. And if you put up a touchdown at the end of the half or even a field goal, so let's say it's 17-17 coming out in that third quarter, and you go right down and make it 24-17 to before LSU's even had a ball, had the ball. Well, now they're playing behind the sticks. Now they're wondering, do they start pressing a little bit? Does it give your defense an advantage? I, I just, To me, that's the one place where I look at and go, ugh. Like, And it's not like this is the only time. This happens quite a bit, and I think that sort of goes to your stats, is this happens a lot, and we're used to seeing it. I sort of look there and dread what's going to happen when Florida gets the ball back with two minutes left. And I get it, right, that if you go three and out, they use all their timeouts, and they come down and score, the game might be over. But the reality is if you're going to go into a shell, the game's over anyway. And mm-hmm. and I think that's sort of what we saw is Florida in the second half made a couple of mistakes on offense, had the one play that was overturned to Jackson, and all of a sudden it's back in you know, the only thing that kept them in the game was the turnover on the on the kickoff return. Yeah. They got an extra possession, turned it into a touchdown. That's why it was even remotely close as opposed to a seventeen point loss. First quarter scoring, Will. Hey, not too bad. 32nd in the country, 7.7 for the offense. Uh, 8.4 in the second quarter. That's uh, 58. Uh, as I said, 5.6 in the third quarter. That's 78th in the country. And then 7.5 is that's good for 53rd in the fourth quarter. So, Can you divide that up into the first five minutes of the first quarter and the last <laughs> 10 minutes? Because no, it feels like the opening script gets I, us to the seven awful. points and then yes. uh, nothing. Yep, yep. Uh, I completely agree. Uh, so 7.7 in the first quarter, 8.4 in the second, 5.6 in the third, 7.5 in the fourth. So there we go. Um, all right, Will, um, let's go to some unfortunate recruiting news here. And, of course, Gators, after the loss to LSU, um, well, actually, Jamonte Waller decommitted right before the game started. <laughs> so uh, that one, of course, the timeline was kind of weird right after the Auburn game uh, and they beat Arkansas. He flips his commitment to Auburn. Wardell Mack on Sunday flips his commitment to Texas. So Waller flipped to Auburn Saturday night. He's been committed to Florida since June 19th. Uh, he was considered you know, the number six edge rusher, number 75 overall prospect in this class of 2024 on 24-7 sports composite. Uh, so far this season, nine sacks, 19 tackles for loss, 56 total tackles, two forced fumbles, a pass breakup uh, his senior season so far. Um, I'd say one of the most excited players that, that I had seen that was in this class. Uh, the thought was, you know, even though he was listed as an edge player, there was a thought Florida might see him more as a linebacker prospect with edge potential as well. You still have Miles Graham, Darius Hayes, Aaron Childs there at linebacker, but you know maybe Waller uses a hybrid type, maybe a, a Harold Perkins type. Uh, there for him. Uh, also, 
you know, of course, you got to pair that with LJ McCray on the defensive line, who says the Gators recruited him as the edge type. Uh, we'll see if that holds. If, if you know, if he gets heavier and then gets have to move inside, but does save Florida uh, recruiting him as an edge. Kendall Jackson, Amaris Williams. Williams is a serious flip candidate to Ohio State, uh, so one to watch out for there. And then Mack, uh, Wardell Mack, flipped to Texas on Sunday. He was the 129th overall player, number 13th rated cornerback on the 24-7 sports composite. Napier really liked the kid. There was some thought Corey Raymond didn't like him as much. Mack's departure, of course, leaves Teddy Foster as the only cornerback commit for the Gators right now. To go along with safeties, Xavier Filsimi, Josiah Davis. That's the secondary class for the Gators. Of course, to look out for next, Florida's get, definitely got to get some cornerbacks in this class now. Zay Mincy, of course, LJ McCray's teammate out of Daytona. Jameer Grimsley, who was supposed to visit, hasn't visited the Alabama commit. Um, felt good about that one at one point, maybe not so much now. Those are notable targets, of course, to put in the secondary. So, Will, Florida's class drops to fourth now with 20 commits right Barely in front of Alabama uh, right now. We'll see if any more flips away from Florida happen. Maybe some flips towards Florida. Um, we'll see how this early signing day class happens. But, of course, Will, the, the narrative uh, to go along with this is as the losses pile up for Florida, five losses right now, three straight losses, two decommits on the hills, hills of those. I mean, it's a fair narrative given that you've seen what's happened in the last few weeks and you figure that the team's probably going to end up on a five-game losing streak. And certainly that has raised the noise around the program. You've got people out there already talking about hot seats and those sorts of things. I think just given the buyout and the situation and those sorts of things, the hot seat talk is ridiculous, especially after two years. Napier's going to get a third year regardless and I think deserves a third year. You need to give a coach the opportunity to get there. Um, the the From – so Waller and Mac are very good players, and I don't like that they lost those guys from this class. But I also think that we need to speak in realities, which is that Florida's Florida's class on an average player ranking was ninety two point six seven before those guys decommitted, and now it's ninety two point four one. And so I wrote an article a couple of weeks ago looking at recruiting, and basically what there is is from about six to thirteen, there's a plateau at around about ninety one point five. And Florida would have to lose like four or five of its top 100 players to end up in that 91.5 range. So they are comfortably within the top five so long as they fill out this class with reasonable players up to 25, 26, 27 players. They'll probably end up third. So the team that jumped in front of them on the 24-7 composite is Florida State. But Florida State's average player rating is 91.72. So if they end up with the exact same number of commits, so the reason they're ahead of them is Florida State has 23 commits and Florida now has 20. So it's just a numbers game in terms of the overall ranking from a points perspective. So if Florida puts a couple more wins on the board in the recruiting profile, they're going to go right up above Florida State, be top three right where we wanted them to be anyway, and these decommits will be nothing but a nothing but a memory. Now, if two or three of the top 100 guys decommit and go someplace else and flip, well, now we got to have a different discussion, right? Because now you're sort of in that plateau where Billy Napier and Dan Mullen have been before. And since this is the value proposition, this is why he was brought here was to fix the recruiting apparatus at Florida, he's going to have to close on this. And I think we've said that all year long. This 2024 class looks good, but you're going to have to close. And so closing doesn't just mean holding on to the 20 guys you got. You need 25, 26, 27 high-level players who are coming your way. So that'll be the question is who can they flip? 
Who from that Texas A&M class can you go get? Is there an effective offensive lineman in the Arkansas class that you can start targeting now that Sam Pittman's in trouble or Sam Pittman's been let go? Like, are there are there places where you can go fill out this roster with your needs? Also get good players as the musical chairs start because this is funny season. This is when everybody gets let go. There's an opportunity now to go out and get some of those guys, maybe flip them or just, you know, hey, head to head battle. Let's go win some of these battles for the guys who are still on the board. Early signing days when all that stuff matters. So we'll know in a month, you know, when early signing day happens, a month, month and a half, whenever that is, we'll know when that happens. But as of right now, Florida still looks very solid to me. I think it was always going to take holding on to everybody they had and a massive close to catch Georgia and Ohio State. But the fact that we could talk about them having a massive close to catch Georgia and Ohio State meant they were light years ahead of where they were last year and the year before and really the decade before. Because then you were like, well, if they signed 10 five-star guys, they might be able to catch Georgia. Is sort of where they were two years ago. And now you're sitting here going, look, if they bring in two more five-stars and a couple of top 100 guys, they might be able to jump up to where Ohio State and Georgia are. And, uh, you know, do I think they're going to get there? And did I say, you know, I said in my article two weeks ago, do I think they're going to get there? No, I don't. I don't think they'll be able to pull that off, but this is a significant step forward. So I don't want the war. I don't want the, the Mac and the, and the Waller decommits to, to distract from the fact that this class is really solid, but, and in fact, more than solid, this is a class that can win you national championships. If they fill it out with the same level of player that they have right now. And if they do that, it will be a top three class by every measure that you've got out there. But they have to do that. They have to finish that. They have to hold on to these guys. And if three, four, five more guys decommit, well, then yeah, it's a major problem, right? But one more guy, de- one more guy decommits, and you bring in four or five more high-level guys. I think we look at this, look at this, uh, look at this class, and are really happy with the hope and the potential that they bring to the Gators. Yeah, we'll see. You know, there's of course a lot of talk. Some more decommitments coming. Uh, so we'll see. We'll see where that goes. Uh, we know how talk goes. Uh, but yeah, Maris Williams, that'd be definitely one. Uh, I, I'd be look looking at Nasir Johnson. That one's been coming up a whole lot. Visited Georgia this past weekend. For now, I will say looks like that will not be holding off. Uh, I don't. I don't think look likely that that flip may happen towards Georgia. Not so sure that one happens now. I think Florida. Right now, I say you know, things change like <laughs> crazy in, re- in recruiting. That's why I say for now. That's not hedging bets or anything like that, but that's just the truth when you deal with recruiting. Uh, but for now, I say Nasir Johnson still sticks with this Florida class. Uh, but it's the biggest two names, uh, certainly, to watch right now. And, of course, where we see the issues for Florida on the defensive side of the ball, you would need to keep every one of these defensive recruits uh, that you got uh, on that side of the ball. Uh, all right, well, hey, Missouri, uh, coming up this week, coming off of a 36-7 thrashing of Tennessee at, at home, of course. Pretty good season. Eli you know, Drinkowitz changes offensive coordinators. Uh, Brady Cook leading that way. Luther Burden there at receiver, uh, of course. And, hey, look, I mean, uh, good, good team. Uh, played Georgia pretty tough uh, a couple last week. Of course, like as I said, just put it on Tennessee as well. Uh, pretty good Missouri team. But Florida's got to go there. It's going to be a cold night. I think I saw, I looked it up today. I think the game time kickoff temperature was like mid 40. So, of course, uh, not, it's, look, that's not freezing, but hey, to Florida boys, it might be a little freezing. But uh, uh, going to be a cold Missouri night there and one more need to win game, but going to be tough. Missouri's pretty good this year, Will. 
Yeah. I mean, obviously I think Missouri from the, you know, from a statistical standpoint, very, very good. They're, they're not elite anywhere. So they're 24th right. overall in points per game, 15th in yards per play. So that's maybe the closest you could say to them being elite. They're 45th in points per game allowed 52nd in yards per play allowed. So there are some, there are, you can move the ball against them. It's not impossible. Um, at the same time, obviously there's not some massive weakness, right? That's sort of what I said earlier. If Florida was 40th in offense and 40th in defense, we'd be talking about a top 25 team. That's kind of what we're talking about here for Missouri. They're 15th on offense in yards per play, 52nd in defense. And so we're talking about a top 15 team. Do I think they're a top you know, five or 10 team? No, I don't. I think they're probably a top 15, top 20 team. But look, I mean, I think Kentucky is worse than a top 15 or top 20 team. And Kentucky completely boat raced Florida. Certainly Vanderbilt and South Carolina, I think, are worse than Missouri. So this is a test, and it's a test where there's not an immediate weakness. Like it was very clear in this game against LSU that Florida was going to be able to move the ball. And, and move the ball relatively well in that specific game, it's not as clear to me that that's something they'll be able to do against against Missouri's defense. So it's it's a tough one when it comes to overall, you know, where does Florida find the matchups? Where does Florida take advantage? And, you know, Brady Cook has been a detriment to Missouri, or at least he was last year. He's not a detriment anymore. QB rating of 160.7. He's also run 81 times for 228 yards. So my stat, yards above replacement, as in 1.28. So from a QB rating perspective, he's right where Mertz is, but he runs a lot more than Mertz does. So you get a lot of value there. We've seen what Florida's been able to do with running quarterbacks the last couple of weeks. And so, you know, look, it's going to be rough, I think, to stop that Mizzou offense, especially the way this defense has been. And so the Florida offense is going to have to come out and they're going to have to do some stuff against a Missouri defense that's better than the defenses that they played the last couple of weeks. So, you know, I think it's probably going to take 35, 36 points to win oh, this yeah. one. And the question will be, do they have that? Do they have that ability to do that? And, you know, I, the only thing maybe we can hope is that the uh, the running back for uh, for Missouri is tired from just running and running and running. I mean, he ran I a marathon last week. So I was going uh, you know. there next. Cody Schrader, the first player in SEC history with 200-plus rush yards and 100-plus receiving yards in a single game. That's crazy, Will. 200 rush yards, 100 reception yards in a single game. First player in SEC history. Well, the thing that worries me is that there were a lot of firsts in SEC uh, history for Florida last week yeah. <laughs> for Florida's defense, and so uh, so you know, I don't. I'm, yeah, I'm what I don't need Schrader to see does not. Uh, does not I don't need to see, yeah, what I don't need to see next week is first player in SEC history with 300 rush yards and 200 receiving yards. <laughs> Well, I, I did enjoy that he ran a lot of wheel routes. That was kind of – every time I see a wheel route, it at least makes me smile a little bit um, <laughs> when, you, when you see the running back going out there and beating the linebacker. Um, look, Florida's going to have to be ready because if you think about where LSU really killed them, it was those little those little flares to the running back coming out of the backfield where the linebacker had to make a choice. Am I going to stick on the quarterback or am I going to stick on the running back? And I think it's a little bit easier because it's probably not a catastrophic failure if if cook ends up running like you hope he gets 10 to 15 yards you hope he doesn't get 55 now if he gets 55 florida's got a different problem um but cook isn't a slouch when it comes to running he's just he's not 
Jaden Daniels and no one is right. That guy's very, very, very fast. So KJ Jefferson, a little bit different kind of runner, but I think Mm -hmm. kind of similar. So that's the thing is I think if you're really looking at the key to this game, and I said this about KJ Jefferson for the last two years, he'd averaged something like four and a half yards per rush. And then all year long coming to that Florida game, he averaged like 1.8. And I was like, you keep him in that 1.8 range. You're going to win. If you get, let him get up over four and a half or five, you're going to lose. And they get up 5.4 yards per rush to KJ Jefferson. Now you could say the same thing about Jaden Daniels, except I think he averaged 20 yards a rush. So, um, you know, Obviously, that one turned into a into a catastrophe for Florida. But this is your opportunity. Like that is the opportunity. You're going to have to stop Cook if he just stays in the pocket and throws. If you can get him down for a couple of sacks, if he has say like six rushes for nine yards, I think Florida really has an opportunity to get off the field on the defensive side of the ball. If he's got six rushes for 45 yards, I think Florida's in trouble because what that means is there's been a couple of third down conversions to keep the chains going, and it means they're not keeping their discipline, and it means eventually they're going to get out of position because because they're trying to stop Cook, and when they get out of position, those linebackers are going to get exploited in the passing game. The fact that the running back from Missouri caught all sorts of balls last week scares the crap out of me, given what we saw last week with LSU, and so that's something that certainly Drinkwitz is going to see. They're going to attack, and Florida is going to acknowledge, and hopefully they have an answer for it. I'm just going to go very basic, and if there's a way, you know, we'll count this stat. Maybe they'll be counting it the night of missed tackles, like – after what I saw Schrader do against Tennessee on Saturday and how tough he runs, how hard he runs, I am not looking forward to see guys just bouncing off of him left and right. That 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 worries me. Just the ball in his hands and Florida attacking him, or lack of attacking, I guess I put it, could, could put it that way as well. That, that The tackling issues we have seen going back to Ray Davis earlier this year as well versus Kentucky, I mean, that's – that's where I'm worried, Will. That's where okay, I'm maybe worried. let's take 42 points to win this one. <laughs> we'll, uh, so the offense, Graham Mertz going to have to go downfield a little bit. Um, look, I think Mertz showed he could go downfield against South Carolina. That's pretty bad defense. Um, but South Carolina also played a lot of man-to-man and and brought a lot of blitzes. And Mertz all year has been has been sacked an awful lot. He doesn't seem real keen on throwing the ball away when he has an opportunity to get the ball away. Um, he's got to do that in this one. It, again, same thing. I think if you look and you go, Mertz has seven rushes for negative 12 yards, you're like, all right, that's going to be a problem at the end of the game because it means probably five sacks. And uh, you know, if, if he's been sacked five times, they're getting to him, he doesn't have time to go downfield, I think it'll be a problem. I think you're going to see a lot of Trey Wilson, especially in the first script when that when they come out. I think yeah. that'll probably be pretty effective. The question will be how, how dedicated are they to – sustaining that throughout are they going to finally put all their playmakers on the field at the same time repeatedly they haven't all year i don't expect them to do that here but i would like to see that you know you think about a couple a couple weeks ago against arkansas they have the two quick plays and a little pass out the flat to etn and then the next play he hits a big running play and then he's not out there for overtime and it's like Ugh, like that's a guy who could make a difference. Let's make sure he's out on the field when there's an opportunity to make a difference. So um, some things they can make some adjustments to. I think you're right. I think if, if my expectations are that Florida is going to win this game, I'm probably going to be disappointed. Um, if my expectations are, hey, we'll keep it close, I might still be disappointed. <laughs> but if my expectations are, I don't know what to expect from this defense, they could give up 60, then, hey, maybe Florida pulls the upset and I'm excited about it. I think, you know, for the most part, this season at this point is going to be all about expectations and understanding what the limitations are and not getting upset when they give up a big play. I mean, 
they're going to, right? They're going to give up some big plays. The question is, in between all those big plays, what are you able to do? Or can you not let the four big plays cascade into six, into eight, into ten, and sort of drop your head and allow some things to happen that maybe wouldn't have happened early on? So, um, look, you only get 12 of these this year maybe for us, and so you got to enjoy it when you're mm-hmm. when you're out there. And, uh, you know, I'll be down there for Florida State in a couple of weeks, so hopefully yeah. uh, uh, hopefully we're there to ruin their season, man. That That would be awesome. Yes, yeah, seven o'clock kickoff. We got that news today on ESPN. There, like I said, or like Will said, he'll be in Gainesville that day. We'll be at the Harmonic Woods tailgate, and we'll be there probably for a little while uh, to say hello to uh, some familiar faces there. But uh, if you guys are in Gainesville, you know, tell come Will. We look for Will. Come maybe to the tailgate. Tell him hey, but. Uh, Will doesn't get to come down in here too often being up there in Philadelphia. So it'd be, uh, be a welcome sight, Will, to, you know, get you a Thunderstruck or two. Oh, I'm, <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. My, uh, so it's funny. This all started me, me doing any of this stuff started going down there for a game every year with my dad. My, my mom and dad were, were separate for a little while. Cause my little sister was finishing up high school. Um, and my dad had taken a new job up in Gainesville. So we'd go down and visit. One of the things that would make me go visit is a football game. So we go to a football game together. So it all started going with him and now I'm bringing my kids down to go. So my son, Max is eight. He's really into it. He loves this stuff and, uh, took him to Utah last year. He had a blast. He was, he was there for the, he was there for a thunderstruck or two. And then, uh, and then went and saw him beat Utah. So he, he may be the good luck charm. If we pick off Florida state this year, hey. in the swamp, like we're going to have to put together like a GoFundMe to get Max down there for more games next year. Yes. He he thinks they win when he shows up because every time he's not there, we don't seem to win. So um, so, so he's taking full credit for the Utah win last year. We'll see whether he can take credit for the Florida State win this year as well. We will make that happen if he uh, brings a dub over, <laughs> over, over the Knowles. We, we will make that happen. Um, there will be promos. There will be commercials inside of Gators Breakdown. Get Max to Gainesville for uh, – <laughs> For for Miami opener next year, all all that, all, the, all those games, all those. Games. Oh man, that little dude's so much fun. And honestly, <laughs> it, it is like I get it. We get critical and we talk about this sort of stuff, and there are things that could be better and all that sort of stuff. But I mean, at the end of the day, the reason why you love this stuff is because of who you're talking about it with. It afterwards, your friends, your family, your dad, your your sons, all that sort of stuff. And I'm reminded of that every time I go down to a game with him. And that that's one of the cool parts about it, right? Is that it is the tailgate before and the people that you've seen for the past five five, six, seven years that you've met through that tailgate. It's the people that we've met through Gators yeah. Breakdown, through through Read and Reaction that, that really is sort of fun. I mean, I got people who text me during games now that I wouldn't know if I hadn't yeah. done this. So the network and the community that this allows us to build, even if we're building it through collective misery right now, <laughs> is at least awesome. And, and, you know, in some ways it's good to teach my kid. It's good to teach ourselves that patience sometimes is required for these sorts of things. And, you know, if uh, if four years from now, Billy Napier or someone else is winning a national championship, I will look back on these days fondly as I wasn't one of those fair weather people who left, when, you know, and just sort of like tuned things out and was apathetic when uh, when things were going bad. I was looking at it and, you know, with realistic glasses, but still looking at it and analyzing it and caring and having those conversations. And yeah. so I'm trying to instill that in my kid. And he already knows no matter what the score is, you don't leave till the game's over. So he's excited since it's a seven o'clock game. He's going to be able to be up way past his bedtime. <laughs> uh, maybe plenty of ice cream again this time as well. So. <laughs> well, we might need to take up a GoFundMe just so I can afford to get him his food allotment this year. 
Uh, as you said, we'll uh, a little woo-saw group, group therapy sessions happening right here on uh, Gators Breakdown, read reaction and all that stuff. So, well, I'm assuming uh, LSU preview up later this week or uh, Missouri preview later this week, uh, looking at that game. And yeah, absolutely. We'll maybe. stand up and holler. We'll have a we'll have a Missouri preview, and and I'm hoping to get something up about Napier. I I uh, so I, I looked into some of the stuff that Napier or that uh, Saban and Kirby Smart were doing in their year two. And obviously this is, this is not year two for those guys. And we know that, but I think there's some stuff about what they were able to accomplish that sort of points to the youth of Florida's team. And it's at least interesting to point out. I don't think it's an excuse, but it's interesting to point out. You will. You sent me a little preview of it and yes, you were right. There's a very interesting angle. Uh, you, you took with some of that. So I, I something that really, you know, something that surprised me. So I, I'm, I'm looking forward to, you know, the whole, the whole piece you put out. Yeah, we'll see. Hopefully I can get it done this week. Yeah. <laughs> I'll let you go now. Go right. Go right now. Go. Go. All right. All right, everybody. That will do it for this episode of Gators Breakdown. For Will Miles at Read Reaction, I'm the host of Gators Breakdown, David Waters. You can find me on social media at GatorDave underscore SEC at Gators Breakdown. Guys and girls out there, thank you for joining us on this episode of Gators Breakdown. Gators Breakdown.